But we know, Father, that you are watching over us and watching over those things pertaining to us, watching over our family, watching over our loved ones. We pray that you continue to watch over them and that you make yourself known to them. Cause them to know you, to not shy from you, to not run from you, to not rebel against you, to not resist or reject your instructions, Father, but to embrace you and to embrace your instructions, embrace your commandments. Pray for your favor to manifest each time they step out in faith. Show them your favor. Father, we know that there are those in our lives, in our family, those who we love and care about, just like Israel's sons, who for whatever reason, Father, choose to do things their way, not the way you would have them do. Help us to do things your way, to know your way. And then them, those we care about, those who, Father, we see going through things and and suffering the consequences of actions and for some reason or not, still not getting it. Pray that you help our family members get it. Help them to see. Help them to know. Help them to walk in that truth that you revealed to them, no matter what others around them may say. I pray, Father, for your presence to manifest. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. The plan concocted by the sons of Israel was to kill Joseph and then lie to their father. On the surface, it seems all of the brothers were in on the plan. However, if we listen to the rest of the story, we find they were not all on the same page. Joseph is sold to a caravan of trailers, Ishmaelites and Midianites, on their way to Egypt. The Ishmaelites were descendants of Abraham and Hagar's son, Ishmael. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham and Keturah's son, Midian. Today's study title is Envy, Money, and Deception. So, let's study. If you are ready, we're going to jump into envy, money, and deception. We are in the book of Genesis. We're in the 37th chapter. We're going to begin around verse 12. And we ended up last week as we were dealing with sibling rivalry. And we come to realize that unbeknownst to the children of Israel and even to Joseph, that father was working to bring about what he had promised to Abraham as far as making Israel a nation. There are things that Father does in our lives that they don't seem to make sense (laughs) in relations to the things that he has spoken, the things that we're trusting and believing him for, and those things that we expect from him. And so the word that we have It's full of insight, and Father has given us this word so that we can search it, and we cannot afford to overlook anything that is in it. I was having a conversation with an individual this week, and just 
reminded of when I was in the Baptist church and pretty much all the other <laughs> denominations that I was a part of, that when it came down to the genealogies and the, the names, and sometimes as we've gone through some in Genesis already, we've seen that these names just seem to go on and on and on. And the other thing that, that is not as obvious is timelines and dates. And we've come to realize that Genesis is not in chronological order. And we've pointed that out from time to time. Timelines, dates, and genealogies are important parts of Scripture that enable us to actually reconstruct biblical history. And it's important for us to know our history because if we do not know our scriptural history, I'm not talking about our, our ancestral history when it comes down to, you know, what line we are of or what uh, race or ethnic group that we're of. When we come into Messiah, the Bible history becomes our history. We become part of the creator's family. Now, we are the creator and all in the earth belong to him, but all in the earth is not considered to be part of his family. There's the world family and there's the family of Jehovah. The only way we come into the world family is being born. The way we come into the family of Jehovah is we must be born again. We're not born into his family. We're born again into his family. And so when we're born again into his family, then the biblical history that is now part of following the family, the household of Jehovah becomes our history. And if we don't know our scriptural history, it can be rewritten and no one would be the wiser other than those who rewrite the history. And those of us who have grown up in our education system, we realize that there were a lot of things that we were taught that were being taught based on books that were chosen to represent what the nation wanted to be represented. And there's, there's much that has been, been hid. The same is in the Bible. With each study we do, I'm reminded of the vast benefits of doing our verse-by-verse -verse study because we uncover truths that can easily be overlooked otherwise. And we've revealed some of those as we've gone. Some will be revealed tonight. And I'm looking forward to next week because we're going to get into some real revelation on top of the revelation that we get into tonight. So picking up at verse number 12, says, and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Last week, we talked about the dream that Joseph had and how his brothers hated him. They hated him even more because of the dreams. And then their father, uh, who made him a elaborate coat of many colors, that caused them to hate them even more. And then another dream caused them to envy him. And then we come to find out that that envy also translated into a jealous anger which is going to manifest itself in this particular chapter or in this portion. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now, if you remember, Shechem was the place where Shechem, the son of Hamor, the king, had become intimately involved with Dinah. And the brothers devised a plot 
where they invoked the name of the Almighty by the covenant of circumcision, saying to the men of Shechem that if you, you know, circumcise yourselves, then you could become part of us, and then you could have our Jacob or is well, he was still Jacob then. His daughter and the brothers agreed to it, and we come to realize that the Bible says his brothers plotted, but when we dug a little deeper, we found that all of his brothers went in it. It seemingly boiled down to Shimon or Simeon and Levi. And so Shechem was that place. And Israel became very concerned because he said that they had made him a mockery in a sense that they brought shame to him and that the people around was going to gather themselves together and destroy him and his family. Well, not only did that not happen, now we find that the people of Shechem, well, remember also that when they killed the men, they took all of the wealth of Shechem. They took the women of Shechem. They took the children of Shechem all of the animals of Shechem. So they, they basically took everything after they had killed the men of Shechem. And I would dare say that that reputation or, or that act spread abroad. <laughs> People heard about it. Well, here they're now grazing their father's flock in Shechem. And in the process, and you could read about that in Genesis 34, 27 through 29, during this time of his brothers being gone, Israel said to Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. Now remember, father had told Israel to go to Bethel. And here in verse 13 is one of those places in this passage where Israel is referred to as Israel and not as Jacob. It seems to go back and forth. And so in verse 13, it says, And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him. So we see this conversation going back and forth between Joseph and Israel. Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with your brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. So at this particular point, they're dwelling in Hebron. Israel called Joseph, sent him to Shechem to check on his brothers and on the flock. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what are you looking for? What seekest thou? And Joseph said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And here's the thing that really jumped out at me. A certain man, this certain man, based on this conversation, is close enough to hear the conversation amongst them about where they were going next. 
Now, this is a close proximity, and it gives the impression that whoever this certain man was, he kind of had some kind of relationship, knowledge, connection to be able to move in among them so that when they're discussing where they're going, he can hear them. And so when Joseph comes and he's wandering in the field trying to find where his brethren are and he see this certain man, this man now is able to point him to where his brothers went. And as he's coming, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Now, it's interesting, too, when the Bible say things like this in this particular passage. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they, it doesn't say who that they were. So it leads us to conclude all of them, all of them conspired against him to slay him. But when we read, we're going to find that that's not the case. The plan concocted by the brothers was to kill Joseph and then lie to their father. Again, this wasn't all of them involved in it. And if it was somewhere along the line, there was a change of mind and a conspiracy and a plot (laughs) and some hidden plans. In verse 19, and they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Now, remember in the previous teachings where we dealt with Joseph's brothers, when they were conspiring against the men of Shechem, it seemed like they were all involved. But the way Jacob or Israel dealt with Simeon and Levi and the fact that Simeon, his land was enclosed in Judah, getting way ahead now, and Levi never given Land because Jacob or Israel in his last days actually spoke about the things they had done and how he could not be involved in their planning. He says, Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Now, in this particular case, their jealous anger and their hatred toward Joseph became greater than their concern or their love for their father. And we'll see how this play out. On the surface, it seems all of the brothers was in on the plan. But, If we listen to the rest of the story, we find they were not all on the same page. I've seen this, you know, there's an old, have you ever made plans with someone that you thought were in agreement with the plans that you made? And here you are committed to the plan only to find out that their commitment and your commitment wasn't the same level of commitment. I remember when I was in the, in the Navy, before I discharged, I was working with a gentleman who we, we decided that we were going to take our GI Bill. We we're going to move. He lived in Las Vegas. I was going to move to Las Vegas. 
we were going to take our, our GI Bill, put it together, and we were going to open up a club. <laughs> and so he had a few more months after my discharge. And so we made, or he made arrangements that when I uh, was discharged from the Navy, I discharged to Las Vegas. I moved in with his parents, waiting on him to finish his tour. And then we were going to enact our plan. Well, he (laughs) re-enlisted. So here I am living with his parents, waiting on him. He re-enlists, and everything, you know, all of my hopes and, and dreams and plan was shot, which sent me on another path. Now that I've been married, I remember our first house we bought. <laughs> and I'm the kind of person that once I get something in my mind, you know, I work on the convincing of my wife. And I think I must have wore her down because she agreed to something that we went and did only to find out that she wasn't fully in agreement with it. And so that caused me to kind of reevaluate how I do things. There are times when we think that we're on the same page only to find out we're not on the same page. And this is why sometimes I ask questions. I was talking to Brother Marcus this morning, and he was using language that um, was more or less in English and come to find out that his English and my English is not the same English. (laughs) So I'm having to ask him, what do he mean? Explain that. And when he's explaining what he's saying, what I thought I heard him say is not what he was saying. But when he explained it, now I could understand what he's saying. And there are times when we're talking to people and we're not talking the same language. What I think I'm hearing and what the person is saying is not the same thing. And what the person is hearing and what I'm saying may not necessarily be the same thing. This is why it's important for us to repeat what we're saying and to make sure that when we're giving an instruction to somebody that they can repeat it back so they understand what we're saying and we're on the same page and they're the old adage, you don't get what you expect, you get what you inspect. And this is one of the reasons why sometimes when I'm making plans, I want to be on site when it's executed because explaining it to somebody else and then they execute what they think they heard, which is different than what I said. Now I got a problem (laughs) and I've had these kinds of problems where people hear something different than what I'm communicating. It's like if you're a supervisor, Lee, and you send somebody on a job and you explain it to them like you want them to do it, and you get there, it is done the way they heard it, not the way you explained. (laughs) 
I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, you know, it shouldn't be no shouting. It has been clarified to make sure that the person heard what you're saying. Because there's two, sometimes we're speaking two different languages. And this, what we're hearing, what we're seeing in this story is that these brothers are conspiring to do one thing to Joseph, but we come to find out that there's a couple of other plans that are in the hearts of those who are conspiring together. And we're going to see how this plan changed. They all seem to have issue with Joseph because the narration in the previous verses in chapter states, they hated him. They hated him yet the more. And then they envied him. And we see this in Genesis 37, four. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now, what this is, is that you ever, you ever been talking to somebody and it seemed like there's a tinge to the conversation. It's like they're talking to you, but you think they got an issue the way they're talking. Well, the brothers here, when they talked to Joseph, that kind of tinge was there because the Bible says here they could not speak peaceably unto him. When they spoke to him, they spoke in a certain way that obviously the hate that was in their heart came out in their tone or in the words that they chose to communicate, whether they were sarcastic whether they were belittling, talking down to, we don't know. But it says they could not speak peaceably unto him. Why? Because they hated him. When you got an issue with a person, it comes out. It comes out somehow. And they can feel and detect that there's something not right in this. And then Joseph dreamed a dream and he told his brethren and they hated him yet the more. <laughs> Verse 38 of verse eight, chapter 37. And his brethren said unto him, shall you indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then in verse 11, chapter 37, and his brethren envied him. So they hated him. They hated him yet the more. They hated him yet the more. And then they envied him. So they got all this hate and anger, this jealous anger, this envy in him. So they can't even speak peaceably to him. And they see him afar off and they're plotting. Reuben had a different plan, but he kept his plan secret. And Reuben heard it, verse 21, and he delivered him out of their hand and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is the wilderness and lay, lay no hand upon him. So Reuben is going along with the plan and he said, cast him in the pit. Well, the intent of casting him in the pit was leaving him, which means they would leave him to die. But his plan was, he said these things that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So his plan is, okay, yeah, we're going to plot to kill him, but I'm going to rescue him behind you guys' back, throw him in this pit so y'all go on, and, and I'm going to come back around and get him and take him back home. Reuben convinced them to change the plan, to throwing him into a cistern left to die with the intent of retrieving him and returning Joseph to his father. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat. 
his coat of many colors that was on him. Now, the scripture does not tell us if all the brothers took part in this, the undressing him of his coat or taking his coat off of him. I mean, think about 11 or or 10 brothers taking one coat of one person. And I say these things, brothers and sisters, because the language will make us think a certain way, but we also have to try to apply some, some logic to what we're reading in order to kind of envision, at least this is the way my mind works, because when I'm reading something, I'm really trying to reenact or reconstruct or create the event in my mind so I can see it. And once I can see it, I can ask certain questions within myself, within my mind, and try to figure things out so I can put this piece together and understand what's going on there. If I don't do that for myself, somebody else in their preaching and teaching is going to do it and paint a picture that may not necessarily be accurate. And this is what many of us have been exposed to over the course of our, of our religious walk is that we've allowed others to lead us and to paint pictures in our mind. And we draw conclusions on limited information when the information is there for us to draw our own conclusions with what is presented. It is something when you think you are in agreement again with someone only to find out they were not in full agreement and even had other plans unbeknownst to you. There's times when people have been double crossed. <laughs> you know, you, you watch some of these, uh, these mystery movies or, you know, individuals who plot to do some kind of crime and they say there's no honor among thieves. And, and while you're plotting to do a crime, somebody is plotting your share, <laughs> which is why it's never good to get involved in those kinds of things with anybody. And even, even by yourself, verse 24, and they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25. And they sat down to eat bread And they lifted up their eyes and looked and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And so here they look up and they see these individuals. And now Judah has a, I don't know if this plan was birthed when he saw what he saw or if it was something else going on him in him that he wasn't fully in agreement with killing Joseph. But we see that there was a a plan that they seemed to all be a part of. Reuben had his own plan and now Judah plan emerge. And Judah said unto him, verse 26, unto his brethren, and this is where the prophet comes in. And when I say prophet, I'm talking money. We talk, the title of the night's teaching is Envy, and we see that the envy is what brings them to a point to where they plot to kill him. That's that jealous anger. And then now there's this idea, instead of killing him, we can make a profit from him. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Now, here's the thing, because Reuben 
don't know what's going on. And I'm asking, okay, they're sitting down to eat. They see the Ishmaelites coming. Where is Reuben at during this time? Because he's obviously not there. In in Reuben's absence, Judah convinced his brothers that instead of leaving Joseph to die, which brought no profit to anyone, to selling Joseph and making a profit totaling 20 pieces of silver. You know, I, I note how the money was split amongst them is not stated. So who got the money? Who got what? None of that is revealed to us. But in verse 27, it says, Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. So we see a band of merchants. And according to the story here, they were Ishmaelites and Midianites. Now I want to point something out here that you may see, or you may not see. These are all Abraham's descendants. One, the Ishmaelites were descendants of Abraham via Hagar through Ishmael. Genesis 16, 11, we see where Sarah brought uh, her handmaiden Hagar to Abraham because she hadn't conceived and Hagar conceived. And in verse 11, you know, she had ran away because Sarah began to deal harshly with her. And while she had run away, the angel of Jehovah said unto her, And this is, to me, it's always fascinating when I read it. Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael. And it's like father is telling her, father is giving her the name to call this boy. Hagar didn't choose that name. Father chose the name for Ishmael. And then says, because Jehovah hath heard her affliction. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham via Keturah through Midian. In Genesis 25, 1, after Sarah died, the Bible says that Abraham took a wife and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimram, or Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shul. So here, Abraham has Ishmael, and then he has Isaac, and then he has Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sons that came from Abraham's loins, which father says, you know, Abraham is going to have these descendants and, and his descendants, if it was possible for the sand to be numbered or the stars to be numbered, it would, it was not going to necessarily be possible for all of Abraham's offsprings, descendants, and the nations that will come after out of Abraham would be counted. Now, although the Bible follows Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, all of the players in this scene are all the descendants of Abraham. And so Reuben returned unto the pit. Now, what's interesting, and this is the thing, for Reuben to return to the pit, 
he doesn't know that Joseph has been sold. So where was he? <laughs> he has no knowledge of Joseph's sale. When he returned to the pit and behold, Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes and he returned unto his brethren and said, the child is not. And I, whither shall I go? Because his plan was to return the boy unbeknownst to him, unbeknownst to them. And the question would have been in my mind that they all returned home to Israel thinking that they had left Joseph for dead in a cistern <laughs> to find Joseph back home with Israel and how he got there. And of course, this would have possibly turned the tide on Reuben. And this is the kind of thing that happens when you're dealing with individuals who got different plans that you're working with and individuals do things that you may not necessarily be in agreement with, which can create some issues for you, issues for them. Everybody's got some issues. Verse 31, and they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And here's what's interesting also, because it seems that, well, let me, and he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. And then he says, an evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Now, either he's responding because they've said these things, or he drew the conclusion because of what he saw. It doesn't appear they told Israel their story. They could have. It seems Israel drew his own conclusion based on the false evidence and witness presented to him by them. And they left him to his own conclusion. If in fact he drew that conclusion or if they communicated to him and led him to that conclusion. I know that that was part of their plan that they were going to do this and say that an, uh, a beast devoured the boy. And now they brought the evidence of his coat dipped in goat's blood. And here's the thing that really, you know, I find myself going through different feelings and emotions as I'm putting myself in the story because, and Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And notice this verse and all his sons and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now, I could not help. I was feeling anger and sadness at the same time while I'm reading this. And it's, it's happened before, but, but this time it was like, you know, I was upset that brothers could do their dad like that. And you can't help but think, you know, I, if I put myself in Israel's shoes and think about, could my sons do that to me? Could my daughters 
And I don't know if the daughters knew anything about it, but the sons certainly knew about it. And the sons let the father believe Joseph was dead and participated in the mourning and attempts to comfort their grieving father who were mourning a son the brothers knew were still alive. This, you know, whenever I'm looking at events in the Bible, especially when it pertains to families, it's difficult for me to put myself in the book without putting my family in the book. Looking at the experiences that we experience as a family, because see, I'm going to tell you something. Those families are not much different than our families. Those people are not much different than our people. And when you look at the fact that this is our history, and you look at what some people in the earth are capable of, how you have children murdering their parents, how you have children taking advantage, beating, abusing their parents, how you have disrespect and and just flat-out disregard for parents, selfish and self-centered. And most parents put a lot of, of their effort and energy in their children. You know, I look back on my life and I'm thinking, you know, some of you all, you've heard the testimony the day I decided I was going to leave my wife. I find out she's pregnant. Her pregnancy changed my mind. And now I'm recommitting to something that I'd made my mind up. I was done with. That was a father recognizing his responsibility to his child and reminding or being reminded of the fact of what my parents went through to make sure that I had a right type of environment with a father and a mother and that I, that I couldn't do those. I couldn't do that. And at that moment, the investment in my children seemed to outweigh my own desires and wants. And I think many parents make the sacrifice for their children. And then for children to turn around and do these kinds of things, to disregard the sacrifice, to not take to heart what a parent has invested in them and the things that they've given up so that they could have the things they need. And so I'm feeling all these emotions and just looking at my own family structure, my own family situation, and looking at all the things that I've had to deal with and what my parents have had to deal with and what people that I know are dealing with with their children and seeing how these sons, so I had to collect my emotions <laughs> and collect my feelings, but this is, this is heartbreaking. Because what Israel say is, I'm going to mourn the death of my son the rest of my life. Now, you got to understand, and I, and I can imagine I'm putting myself in Israel's shoes. 
if I had never sent my boy to go check on them, feeling the responsibility that if I didn't do that, this wouldn't have happened. And all of that grief and pain that he's now enduring because the passage say that they could not comfort him. He refused to be comforted. Can you imagine the kind of grief that he's experiencing to where he refused to be comforted? Because this is going to affect him for the rest of his life until he find out that the son is not dead and his joy for that news seems to overshadow the fact that his boys had deceived him and caused him to mourn and grieve all that time. But what it also did, as we're going to see going forward, is he became overprotective of the other son that was born to his wife, Rachel. So they let him go through all of that. And what does this say about these boys? The evidence shows, as we have seen what they did in Shechem, uh, with the Shechemites, with Hamar and all of the men of Shechem and how they pillaged and took their wives and took their children and took their stuff, invoking in the name of God. The evidence shows the sons of Israel were given to violence, lies, and misleadings with a straight face as if they were being truthful. This is those boys at that time. And then we see the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. And this story will unveil, unfold itself in the next few chapters as we find the plan of the Most High that was given to Abraham is set in motion, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to all of the players. They don't know that Father is working his plan through all of the things that is taking place as we're going to see going forward. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>